You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. So I'm joined here today with my new friend, Jake Mom. How you doing, my man? Yeah, great. Enjoying this mint, enjoying your company, you know? Great weather it. in Napa, so yeah, having fun. Definitely <laughs> can't complain about the weather. It's yeah. been unreal. Somebody was just telling me earlier, as a friend of mine from Denver, they were like, they should just have it in Denver. There's so many Denver people. And I was just like, Denver has great weather? Yeah. I'm like, this is unreal. This yeah. is like inside, outside. Yeah. There's a bit more wine here as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And it is the Napa Institute. So I'm like, it's kind of hard to shift that, yeah. I would imagine, from Napa. But it's great, man. So I'm, I'm excited to talk with you. I've seen you on a few different podcasts. was excited to meet you yesterday. Um, and I think one thing that's really cool, when you meet different people, like I, as soon as I met you, I was like, I like this guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, which you appear really likable in the podcast that I've seen you on with Pines of Aquinas and different things that I've seen from you or read your articles. But it's always cool, I think, when you actually get to encounter somebody. You know, like, I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, yeah. he's a likable dude. So, yeah, first would love to just kind of get started talking about some of your conversion story. Sure. Some of that experience of how you came to the church. I saw that you were on the Coming Home Network. We've both been on uh, that that uh, kind of show on EWTN. Um, were you on experience. with Marcus or with John Mark? Uh, with John Mark. Yeah, I love that guy. Yeah. Just what a wonderful man and yeah. a beautiful family and... We can't say enough good things about him. Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah. It was really cool. And I, I'd never known. Were you like, you did the studio in Ohio? Yeah. It's only about an hour and a half, two hours from my house. Oh, okay. I live in Steubenville in, yeah, yeah, on yeah, the far east right. side. And so it's a nice little drive over. And yeah, I had, I actually, I don't know what happened. I like didn't have my car at the time. You know, I stole Matt Frad's, you know, Jeep and <laughs> drove over. <laughs> had a great time. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I was mind blown. I was living in Cincinnati at the time. So they got me before I moved to. Benedicted, yeah. but I was just like mind blown how in the middle of nowhere it was. Like it just, I like it, even if somebody described it to me as rural. Yeah, I think like still like driving up on it, I was just like, this is unreal. Yeah, how out here we are. Yeah, yeah, you're like you know? given this yeah major network right next to like a cow meal pasture. Yeah, legit. Right? and yeah. just like in a house, it was like this like yeah. building on the side of the road. Yeah, it's crazy. But yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about that, your journey to the church. Sure. You know what? I was born into a family where my father was a liberal Muslim and my mom was a evangelical Christian. My dad was born and raised in Jerusalem into a very powerful Muslim family. But when my mom and my mom, in contrast, grew up in Michigan 
to a Catholic in a Catholic home. Her family left the church more or less over Humanae Vitae um, in the in the 60s and the changes that were happening in the church at that time. I kind of laugh that they left over the contraceptive, you know, encyclical. Yeah. Because they already had eight kids. And I was like, <laughs> just keep going, bro. You know, you just, wow. you know, keep going. But grandma was 33. And I think there was, it was even the matter of confusion itself that was starting to hamper their faith more than the declaration, you know, because yeah. it wasn't like the declaration brought in anything new. It just didn't change anything. Right? right. But then there was the concern about whether or not that was the right decision and, you know, how people like to challenge the questions the teachings of the church and that was just being done rigorously and to the point where it seemed like there were multiple teachings of the church anyways my mom's family really really stopped going to mass and when around the time when she was 11 i'm told and they uh, weren't really raised with anything after that so by the time my mom went to the middle east and lived there for a number of years and met my father and had to agree to raise the children Muslim. She consented to it. don't think it was easy for her, but she did. Well, they ultimately moved to the States to avoid Israeli occupation. My dad was a Palestinian in Jerusalem, not a Jew. And so it, life is, you know, quite hard for Palestinians there. And yeah. I'm not trying to make a political statement or saying one side's, you know, better than the other. That's another conversation. Um, but it was rough for them, and they left and uh, started life in America. And at that time, again, you're kind of in the midst of a cultural swing. It's like gay marriage really came onto the scene. I mean, right. at that time, there were still all these anti-sodomite laws in the, in the United States, and yet the, the, the lobbyists were coming on strong. My mom's looking around trying to find answers. And really the only answer she's found was from her next-door neighbors who were leading this Bible study on the book of John. And so she went over there, Here the go- here's the gospel proclaimed boldly, strongly, truthfully. And she starts to go back to a church, you know, but yeah. Protestant, excuse me. So then by the time I was born and they were married for a decade and a half before I came along, didn't have any siblings. Wow. Um, and... Um, they uh, so I was kind of raised with this strange dichotomy. They were married for fifteen years before they had you. Yeah, fourteen. Yeah, wow. fourteen years. Before That's wild. I was, yeah, it was. I couldn't imagine that. You know, excuse yeah. me, keep getting things and things. Up. My wife and I have been married uh, not not yet three years, and we have two kids. So yeah. you know, <laughs> you know, Catholic Very kids, right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, that wasn't all by choice. I should you know for whatever that's worth, but. Um, they were struggling with infertility for a while. But by the time I was born, I was hearing one thing from my father and a different thing from my mother. Yeah. And um, and my mother's faith certainly seemed more powerful. Mm. It seemed more powerful because it had a real effect over her life. Yeah. Whereas my dad, had moved to the state, had really taken on the liberal notion i mean liberal in the kind of the lockean sense the the liberal thing that both republicans and democrats adhere to that you yeah. know to each his own you do your own thing uh, a, a system of rights based equality of strong juridical order was really the best way to order a society and so 
for him, he still believed the teachings of Islam, but internally, and it didn't really affect the pattern and order of his life. Mm. So I saw power in my mom's faith. I didn't see power in his. And it wasn't substantial, but at least it was something. Yeah, you know, you're a kid. So you hear your parents teaching two different things. You're like, well, I don't know which one's right. You know, and so I just kind of said, well, I guess I won't make a decision, you know, until I'm yeah. older. And um, I was about 15 when I really had a strong conviction of my own sin. It was really clearly convinced that I had not done what was right in my life. I had not set up habits that were virtuous. It was kind of simple. You know, I just, at one point, still enjoying this mint. Sorry, everybody. Um, <laughs> I just realized at one point, you know, just l like the movies I was watching, the music that I was listening to, it's like that really doesn't uplift your spirit. It doesn't yeah. lead you to want to live in a way that, that self gives, that wants to unite with others. And so I started to look around is like, well, what faith, you know, could start to explain some of these things or handle my sin. And I looked to my father's faith and it's, you know, Allah says, do better, try harder. It's nothing really substantive done for your, for that, for your sin. And I was also just not quite convinced that Allah would be so patient as well with a world that had rebelled so hard against him and mm -hmm. his law. Whereas within Christianity, not only do you have a more serious claim to God being long-suffering, but his incarnation, his ultimate sacrifice, crucifixion, was something that was substantially done for our sins, which gave weight to the claim that he was long-suffering. I thought that that actually makes sense. That really is clear that some that a God would even put up with us like this if he was willing to go to that extreme yeah. to be with us. So again, looking at my mom's faith, it had more power to it. Um, you know, to make a, too long of a story shorter, <laughs> ultimately I did ask to be baptized and, but in a Protestant church, I never really knew a Catholic at this time, a practicing Catholic at this time. And what I, what I finally realized about Protestantism was that I that never gave us great answers as to what we should be doing with our life, A, but also more than that, didn't give us clear answers of what the Christian life really was. Like, for instance, that's abstract, what, concretely. I couldn't get an answer about what the Eucharist was. I couldn't get an answer about what baptism was or when to baptize your kids. After 2,000 years, we should probably come up with an answer to that thing, <laughs> sure. you know? Yeah. And, but the importance to that, it wasn't just that there wasn't just answers, but what did the lack of answers result in? Well, the lack of answers resulted in me not being able to know Christ more. The less I'm able to know him, the less I'm able to love him. I mean, you know this. It's like yeah. the more you find out about your wife, the more you're able to enjoy her and love her. Yeah, absolutely. You're able to unite with her. And I figured, you know, I really love Jesus Christ. I want to love him more. I want to know him more so that I can love him more. And yet, if there's all these barriers, 
you know, to knowing him more, then there are, then those are barriers to loving him more. Mm. Yet if I don't want those barriers to be there because I love him, well, he loves me even more than I love him. So he doesn't want those barriers there. So he must've had some other solution. Well, that's tradition. That's the church. That's the Catholic church. So I came home eventually. (laughs) That's amazing. That's really cool. And so what are your, what is the status of your parents right now? My dad died about 10 years ago. And he was baptized before he really? died. Wow. He asked to be yeah, baptized on his deathbed. And my mom's back in the church, a happy Catholic, praise be the God. She remarried a great Catholic man, and um, they just are wonderful and, and really? totally radical for Christ, you know, just marvelous evangelists, um, totally converted. Not, you know, this we would talk about like comfortable Catholicism. You know, they're like changing everything. They're financial. They're just giving away so much money strategically really? to build wow. up the kingdom of God. Um, it, like a real conversion from the pattern and order of usual liberal American life. Again, liberal in the sense of both Republican and Democrat, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, of, yeah, the philosophy of liberalism. Yeah, exactly. That, that's super interesting. Yeah. There's a few things in there I really want to hit on. Mm-hmm. One, I want to ask you about your experience. I think it, it's not often that you get to meet people who were raised with two different religions at home. Yeah. I, to a certain extent, was, but not really. Like, I mean, my most, the biggest thing was, like, my dad was kind of more raised Baptist. My mom was Lutheran. Oh, okay. And so I was baptized Lutheran. We started going to a Lutheran church. My dad was really just, like, non-practicing. Yeah, <laughs> My mom yeah. was Lutheran was yeah, more yeah, of what yeah. it really was. But for you, with two different, I mean, two different worlds, uh, there with, I guess, nothing for a while in Islam yeah. and then Christianity and Islam, like... What do you have to say to people who, or, or your thought process on uh, men or women that are Catholic dating, marrying non-Catholics, having that experience of two different religions? Yeah, you know what? It's tough. Um, it's really tough. It's not easy on the kids. Not clear for the kids. Um, you know, if you're if you're not married and you're thinking about this, I mean, that's it's, it's such a it is a pastoral question because you got to be able to you know, know the people to speak to them. So I'm not going to do a good job and I'll butcher this, but, you know, just deriving from principles that you got to be equally yoked, man. You know, you got to be actually totally committed to helping the other person get to heaven. And you can take that as like a missionary point of view of sorts, but you're uniting with this person. So it's not just, you know, your relationship with your neighbor next door who you also need to dedicate yourself to getting to heaven. But because that other person's helping you get to heaven, and if they don't know Jesus Christ, if they're not knowing the the path that he's walking, Mm -hmm. you know, that he walked, that we're supposed to walk after him and with him, then are they going to do that for you? And and so I think that's something that a lot of people have to, you know, pray seriously, be honest with themselves about, and then ask God for a solution. It's tough finding a spouse in today's environment. (laughs) You know, dating, you know, I want to write a book one day about dating under liberalism, It's just why it sucks so bad, but it's just, it really, I mean, it's it's a totally, you know, it's just, it's almost a crapshoot. It's a really tough process. It's a bad time. Yeah, it's a really bad time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's Mm -hmm. not awesome. No, absolutely. And I think even in that, when you see the stats, I think there's two stats that really come to mind um, within this question for me. One is, obviously, we struggle uh, getting people to believe and understand the true presence in the Eucharist. And so even if you're dating or marrying somebody who's a practicing Christian, mm-hmm. right, is um, evangelical, like, how do you convince them that your kids, that they need to go to confession, that the true presence is the true presence, 
Yeah. When you have somebody that even if they're willing to come to mass with you every weekend, does not receive communion, does not go to confession, does not do these things. Like, totally, yeah. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. itself is, is a huge obstacle. It's a huge problem. And then the other thing, I often say that, I and I don't know, this might be kind of a hotter take, but I think it's even more important for women to be sure to choose Catholic men because of the stats that we know of yeah. how the faith is passed down from the father. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think it's less risky for a man to date an evangelical woman yeah. and marry an evangelical woman, have kids with her, uh, a Catholic man, than for a woman to do that with an evangelical man. Yeah, that's that's a tough message, but I, I think you're probably right. Yeah, yeah, just the stats on that, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's really passed down through the father. So that's big. The other thing that you mentioned was the, and I think liberalism, We I've talked about this semi-recently on the podcast, kind of like the philosophy of liberalism. Cool. Um, I read uh, Why Liberalism is a Sin. I don't know if you've ever seen that little small book. It's written by a priest. And it is hard charging. That is for sure. Cool. No, uh, I haven't heard of that. What? Did, who wrote that? I can't remember his okay. name. I'll have to Google it for you after. Okay, sweet. Um, yeah. Why liberalism is a sin. <laughs> it was powerful. Um, and I had kind of been like dabbling in some of that. Somebody had sent me um, some articles or some podcasts last year um, about that kind of topic. And so I'm really curious. You know, you talked about your dad being a liberal Muslim. Obviously. Mm-hmm. What, was he also kind of, I'm just really generally intrigued, and I was going to kind of ask you about this before anyways, of like how Muslims get included in the Democrat coalition. So obviously I think like Obama in 2012, kind of creating this coalition of minorities, yeah. and kind of, but it's, it's like the most incredible and almost impressive part of it is you have these people in this coalition, from the black community to the Muslims to uh, illegal immigration to uh, LGBT stuff that they have competing interests mm-hmm. and they disagree in wild ways, right? Like yeah. nobody gets more hurt by illegal immigration than the black community. Most of the black community does not support, or they support abortion at lower rates than most whites do. Mm-hmm. Islam is obviously ardently opposed to all things LGBT, mm-hmm. but they're kind of all in this group. Do you think it's because, like, is it like a tenant of Islam or is it just kind of like foundational to Islam? Do you think that like liberalism would be accepted while you would be Muslim for yourself? You don't really necessarily try to promote that in the culture and in your country or what do you think that is no i think it's not the case at all actually i think liberalism is diametrically opposed to islam really and people are giving up on their faith when they move Mm -hmm. here so you know i've asked very devout muslim friends you know why they vote democrat etc and they kind of get quiet and look around you know over their shoulder and whatever and Mm -hmm. they say look we're just going to get kicked out by the republicans Really? You know, and so it's like, yeah, of course, you know, and they go off and say pretty extreme things about gays, etc. And, but, you know, it's kind of like a bare necessities vote for a lot of them. Wow. So I say, I think I'd say that, first of all. Say the second thing is that some people are just willing to give up some of those tenets of Islam about this social aspect of the religion. You know, if you're if you're a Christian and you're like kind of getting into your faith, then you start to study theology pretty hardcore. Well, if you're a Muslim and you're really getting into your faith, then you study law pretty hardcore. Mm. It's not a philosophical, principles-based religion because of some of their doctrines about divine voluntarism and such, that God just wills things and they are, and there's not the interconnection of natures um, and cosmic order in the, in the same regard that you know, we uphold within the tradition of, of our faith. So law is the thing that provides order 
that's the thing that actually gives a concrete pattern to people's lives so that they might carry themselves in a way befitting for God. Okay, so what does that mean? It means that they are really interested in creating societies full cities that are actually theocratic. And this is, you know, it kind of sounds to us, well, that might sound uh, uh, dismissive or demeaning or something like that of their faith. It's like, no, that's just like one of their tenets. Well, guess what? It's also a tenet of our faith, too, right. as Catholics. Yeah. You know? It triggers I'm, the American side of you. It totally triggers yeah. the American side of you. But also, guess what? Leo Thirteenth wrote an encyclical condemning this idea for Catholics, too, really? saying that the divorce between church and state oh, is, right, right, right. is a pernicious error. You know? I yeah. mean, there's like... No light language. And this is something that's repeated on by quite a number of popes. You know, Benedict XIV said this, Pius XI. I mean, it just kind of carries on for right. quite a lot, number of guys um, that we don't hold to. And, and a Muslim buddy of mine, he, he once asked me, you know, I don't, I'm not sure if he knew, like, my whole story or anything, but we became, you know, quite good friends through... Um, yeah, yeah, over the years, and, and he asked, you know, I just don't understand you Christian guys. It's like, as if God only cares about what you do on Sundays, or like only cares about oh, what you wow. believe. Oh. He says, you know, like, that, you know, and he's just like laughing at me. It's like, yeah, that obviously can't be right. And I thought about it, I was like, yeah, you're right. That obviously <laughs> cannot be right, you know? And and people might say, well, no, 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 but like, I'm kind to my coworkers, and I like, I don't cheat people. And it's like, yeah, no kidding. It's like, you right. don't got to be a Catholic to know that that's yeah. wrong, you know? Uh, like, how is your life, the actual pattern and order of your life, distinguishable from that of an atheist, right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's the really tough question that we got to face ourselves with in this modern American society. And how is it that we can actually fully reorient our own lives, lives of our family, and then moving on to lives of our neighbors and our citizens, our fellow fellow citizens, to do the same? You know, I mean, God wants me to convert totally to him. Well, and he wants my family to as well. And he does want my neighbors, and he does want everybody in my city. You know, where does it end? It never ends, is the question, yeah, right? right. And so I think I think that was you know a, a great insight um, for my buddy that kind of struck me right to my core and started to make me think about um, Catholics turn to Catholic social teaching. Um, a great friend of mine, Mark Barnes, kind of showed up in my life at at that point and uh, and really helped me reorient <laughs> towards that that way of thinking. And um, you know, some years later, he. Andrew Jones and I started a think tank called New Polity, and things kind of got rolling from there. But anyways, now I'm skipping ahead in the story. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. Mm -hmm. I love it. I think that's really interesting. I, I guess in you knowing, you know, these devout Muslims who are kind of in that fear mm -hmm. space, you know, and are afraid of being deported or being kicked out of the country. Yeah. Um, how, how much do you think, like, the, the Trump Muslim ban, like, were you... Were you, like, very off-put by that? Like, did you realize, like, that's kind of, like, what they're afraid of and you're pushing more people to the left, or...? Mm, not really. I mean, my, my goal is not... I, I don't care to... I mean, I'm very interested in policies, and, you know, New Polity, you know, has, has written a bill, and we can chat about that if you want. Yeah. So we're, we're like, we're, we're engaged, man. But at the same time, um, the a lot of the technocratic policies that come out of the administrative state 
just aren't helpful one way or the other. And I found that to be the case. Uh, so there's another thing I should probably mention, like a lot of the Muslims that have left um, the, the Muslim world have specifically left their faith as a social reality mm-hmm. as well. They, by moving, they left that behind and they wanted to do so. You know, how cognizant of it, how much would they articulate that as a theological decision? I'm not sure, but but de facto, that's what they've done. And de facto, that's what they believe as well. And yeah. you can kind of push them into that corner too. They just kind of really embrace. Yeah. And I've had friends, you know, who, you know, turned around and gone back to Saudi Arabia or whatever else, you know. Really? And, oh, yeah, or Jordan or whatever, you know, and they've realized that they've made a mistake. but Because it's too wild here? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, that it was, yeah, I guess in a sense too wild, you know, you can say that, but um, they wanted to be able to assume Islam in the wider culture. Yeah. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. That's super interesting. Yeah, I only know a couple of Muslims in my life. My brother is married to, uh, my sister-in-law is is Muslim, and We've had some interesting political conversations because mm-hmm. she absolutely hates Donald Trump. <laughs> and I am by no means like a, a MAGA hat wearing like Trump fanatic. Um, but I did vote for him in the last election and uh, would vote for him again if I have to in 2024. Even though I hope I don't have to. <laughs> um, but what we had some really interesting conversations because and I've had interesting conversations with even like Uber drivers. Like I just had an Uber driver in Chicago uh, in June that we had kind of the same talk. And they were both, they're both from uh, Morocco, mm-hmm. uh, the Uber driver and my sister-in-law by chance. And what I thought was really interesting is when I asked them, uh, it's kind of going back to the coalition thing, because when I asked them topic by topic, you know, I'm like, Layla, do you believe in uh, abortion? Like, do you believe, mm-hmm. and she's like, absolutely not. I'm like, do you believe, like, do we have trans kids? Do you believe mm-hmm. in illegal immigration? Yeah. You came here, you came here legally and it was difficult, but you're, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Do you believe in all these different things? And it's just like, no, no, no. And I'm just like, why did you vote for Joe Biden? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, why are you so passionate about this? Um, and I think that's one of the things I think is really difficult about uh, Donald Trump is I think he makes it. Uh, ben Shapiro talks about this a lot. Like, it one of the ways you win elections is making it easy for people to vote for you. Um, and I think that he exceptionally is, is like exceptionally good at making it difficult. To vote for him. Yeah, you know? I think that's true. You yeah. know, yeah, and I, I just wanted to kind of clarify one thing that I really don't mean to be speaking on behalf of the Muslims. Oh, yeah, here no, or whatever, whatever no, else, obviously. And, um, and, and and I think there's a lot of devout Muslims out there who probably will um, get irate at what I said. But I but just looking at historical Islam, the traditional features of it, um, you know, there's some there's something new. There's like a new form of Islam that we're seeing in the in the modern liberal West. Uh, that's developed and it's hard to categorize and articulate and I'm not sure if, you know, we can do so yet. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And absolutely. so part of this confusion breeds out of their own lack of a tradition to be able to have, be equipped about what to do, like how to vote if it's not within uh, an Islamic polity. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. So let's transition. I want to talk about why you hate investing. So let's go into... I'm just kidding. I don't hate That's investing. That's a joke. That's a yeah. joke. <laughs> you, uh, I, that was one of the first things that I saw was your... I, like I said yesterday, I don't remember what podcast it was that I came across this, but somebody had mm-hmm. sent it to me. It was like, oh, you should podcast with Jacob and Mom and talk about this. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which uh, so I listened to that episode and heard it and um, think you raised some very good points. And so I know that those exist and, and I want people to go and check those out. You just did a debate recently with Trent Horn on mm-hmm. Science with Aquinas yeah. on this topic. Um, on 401k. On 401k specifically. Yeah. yeah. And so do you have any differentiator between 401ks and IRAs or are you just kind of against... Uh, talk yeah just give me can you give me just like your kind of general yeah well we can we can yeah let's just i'll just break down those those arguments first and then we can chat about iras as well if you want sure um through the catholic intellectual tradition you have very impressive demonstration of economic knowledge and then quite a robust evaluation of various economic and financial techniques. One of those um, that's most famous is the conversation on usury, about charging interest on on a loan. But as it pertains to the stock market, obviously usury is is not in play. People don't make money through interest. They make money through price indexing um, by a change of price um, of of a financial asset that they buy and they hold. Okay, so what does that mean? means that you're trying to buy a share of a company at a lower price, holding it for some time in order to sell it later at a higher price. This is historically, or this is just technically speaking called speculation. Um, Paul Samuelson, you know, the great economic teacher of the 20th century, Nobel laureate in economics, wrote the most widely distributed and used uh, economic textbook ever defines speculation that way. Uh, the church has unequivocally condemned speculation. It has always done so. St. Augustine, St. Basil, St. Gregory the Great, even moving into the Middle Ages, St. Albert the Great, St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Bonaventure, Blessed Duns Scotus. And the reason was clear is that, and, it, and it's all based in St. Paul's declaration to the Thessalonians, namely that if you don't work, you should not eat. Okay, so if you don't work, then you don't, you shouldn't eat. Well, Pope St. John Paul II, bringing this tradition forward into the modern magisterium, says that if your work does not enhance the benefit of society, doesn't expand the production of society as well, then you don't have a claim to receive something back reciprocal for the gift that you've given. Mm. When speculation, there's no value add. You've actually taken out something productive from society, a productive piece of uh, property from society, not enabled it to be used productively, and then just sold it back later, having at some degree made that product more scarce. Right, by, by buying and holding it. So this was condemned. It was considered to be a completely unchristian thing to do because it doesn't cultivate charity. You're not actually giving a gift to somebody. Our work should be something done for someone else. The fact that we can charge for our work and make our work self-referential is only based upon a first act of justice that we have given someone else something good right. that's going to help their life. That's what our work's all about. That's why, you know, we labor. You know, it's actually to make somebody's life better. In speculation, you don't do that. 
So the tradition has condemned it. They've condemned it. Early on in the unanimous decision of the fathers, it was condemned in the Middle Ages with the piercing intelligence of the scholastics, and it was condemned in the modern uh, period as well, both in the catechism as well as in numerous encyclicals, um, John Paul II, Benedict XVI. So that bodes a problem for the stock market as a whole because the entire point of the stock market is to buy low, hold on to your financial assets, and to sell higher later. I don't see that there's really any way around it. I, um, you, people can point out good things that happen with that, you know, that... Um, you know, the, I can I can better save for retirement. I have more money for my family. And it's like, great, those are wonderful things to do. Can you do good things with a profit from an unjust enterprise? Obviously you can. Sure. If, I, if I have a prostitution ring and I give 100% of those proceeds to charity, it's not like I didn't do something good with those proceeds. Right. You know, I might have built a new cathedral. I might have funded the Benedictines, you know. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, I can obviously do good things with that money. But should I get money that way? It's like, no, of course I shouldn't. <laughs> right. No, there's a whole, you know, level of gradation of unjust acts. And I think stock market investments might not be, you know, as well, certainly not as bad as running a prostitution ring, but it's still not good. And it's still as bad. And John Paul II clearly writes this in, in uh, Centesimus Honest, where he says, um, the decision to invest in one place rather than another and one productive sector rather than another is always a cultural and moral choice. In other words, it's never neutral. It's cultural because your investments physically build up the culture that you're in, the society that you're in. Right. What you put your money before towards will cultivate something. It's always a moral choice because what you put your money towards demonstrates what type of culture you want. Mm -hmm. You're either be building the city of God or the city of man, and what you put your money towards reveals whether you love the city of God more than the city of man or not. And that's exactly what he says afterwards. He says, what you invest in reveals the human quality of the person. So do your investments, do yours, do your investments reveal the human quality of your person. Well, the Pope says it does. We got to be careful about that. But also, we got to not just be scrupulous looking at the line that we can't cross, right? Sure. So this is another, you know, really important point. It's like, that's Pharisaical. You know, Pharisees were always kind of looking at that line and saying, right. which, you know, how close can we get to it, right? You know, like this whole stuff, like, can, can we take care of our parents? Do we not have to take care of our parents? You know, that's, that's a really tough thing. That Christ just says, just blows out of the water. He reorients us from this, I, this orientation from, um, from avoiding doing evil towards doing good. You know, I like to say that it's like the the high school boyfriend asking how far he can go physically with his girlfriend. Yeah, right. It's like, bro, yeah. that's just the wrong it's not the right question, question <laughs> stemming from the wrong disposition of yeah. soul, bro. You know, we need to be asking the question like, how can I respect her? How can I love her? How can I orient her right. to Jesus Christ? You know, <laughs> and that's the same question that we have to have for our investments. Yeah. And particularly now, as we are in this post-Christian, anti-Christian culture, 
all the more we have to be asking, how can what I put my money behind build up the city of God? We don't have time to argue over whether or not your 401k is just or unjust almost. Like, that's what I think about it. It's like, no, it's clearly building up financial industries that hate us. They clearly are building up banks that are trying to suffocate the faith. Just get over the fact, and and you can even say, like, is that the most convenient way, is it the most direct way of building up the city of God? And even if you say, well, I don't think that, you know, it's all that bad, you know, it's like, yeah, but is it doing the most good possible with those funds? Obviously not. Right. You know, and and so we can have some sort of like cordial discussion over that. It's like, well, okay, you might disagree with me uh, that speculation is wrong. That's tough because the church has just condemned it, you know? I mean, it's just it's just always been condemned in the church. But we can, you know, we can, you know, like if you want to give up on that argument for a moment, we can say like, well, is this directly building up the kingdom in the best ways possible? And the answer is just obviously no. So we, re- I mean, this is just an important thing that John Paul II takes investing super seriously. He likes it. Like this, Catholics have to like investing. And we have, and if he takes it seriously, then we have to take it seriously, and that means that we have to take what we're putting our money towards seriously. It's just all this, you know. All this comes back to just: Are we loving Christ more? You know, are we yeah. helping more people love Christ? You know, well, that's what we're, we're. That's why we live. Like that's our whole point of, of existing. So let's just do that, man. Let's just go <laughs> so, for it. You know, I love. Let's it. just love him. So from there, how do you? How do you personally do it? How do you uh, coach or encourage Catholics to go about investing? Yeah. So I. I mean, I'm. Uh, uh, I, I'm not like a, a financial coach. You know, I like sure. to make the point, like, you know, we have to make this, like, legal declaration every time I talk about money is that this is not financial advice. And it's like, no, and, and, and I've been asked to say that many times, but I am giving financial advice. Just <laughs> the financial advice that I'm recommending is going to render you poorer than you were prior, right. you know? So if your goal is mammon, it, like, don't listen up. But if, you're, if your goal is Jesus Christ, then the church has a lot to teach, you know? Yeah. And I just really encourage people to go to that tradition. So, so anyways, I'm getting away from your question, which is how do I invest? And, and the answer is locally. So when John Paul II defines investing, he says, to invest is to offer people an opportunity to make good use of their labor. In other words... The goal of investing is to dignify the labor of your neighbor. It's This is why he discusses investment right next to charity. Mm. In the same ways we give alms to, is to dignify the life of a poor person, so investing does the same thing. That's his argument. That's John Paul II's argument. This is paragraph 36 of Centesimus on us. When I'm looking around at my city, I mean, I live in a dilapidated Rust Belt town, there's a lot to do. There's a lot we need to um, cultivate so that our friends have access to productive property and that they are not just cogs in this vast economic machine, but our creators actively using the intellect and the reason that God has endowed them with uh, to be able to form and morph the world um, in a creative pattern. So, um, So what are some of the things that and also, we, you know, we have to choose specific people as well that we're investing in. 
it's not just people generically. It's particular people that we're trying to invest in. So we've tried to do a few things at our town. Um, the first was a communal woodworking shop. So woodworkers have the same problem as gym junkies. You know, gym junkies, they, why, do they get, why do people get a gym membership? Well, because the equipment is too large or too expensive, too large for their homes, too expensive for their budget. And the same problem ails woodworkers. So we bought some extraordinary equipment, really cool tools, and have created a membership program for those locally in our town so that they have access to this productive property to supplement their income. A number of people have been able to do that. It's just been really wonderful to see. And a number of guys have been able to take their jobs to part-time because they're doing so well. A number of guys have actually just quit their jobs totally wow. and are just working in the shop full-time. Um, so we're really excited about that, and they're building some really beautiful stuff, and we're proud of them. Uh, another thing that, you know, Matt's talked about this for a while, it's finally actually happening, is uh, that we're putting our money into a, a brewery locally. So in downtown, if you, you look at kind of this, um, the trends of revitalizing a town, the three things that always help are a coffee shop, a corner shop, and a brewery. So we have our coffee shop. We're trying to help a corner shop get off the ground, and then, and then the brewery's the last one. Um, so we've, we're, we're, we found this amazing guy, I mean, a good friend of mine. He ran a brewery in Arkansas. He's up in Steubenville. We, like so many of us are for the community um, and just an extraordinary brewer. And so the being able to, um, uh, to have a, another place, a community, you know, uh, gathering hall in our town, we just really don't have one. And this is going to make um, some good strides. One thing that we're really excited about is we have a, um, a venue space on the, on the top floor where we're going to host the mystery cycles along with, you know, certain debates and Catholic events. Um, but the mystery cycle plays, if you're familiar with oh. them, these are medieval plays that Christians created to help people understand the biblical narrative more. We often hear about, like, stained glass because people don't read the Bible, so they have to, like, see it. Yeah. Well, how much more with theater, you know? Right. And so yeah. uh, we're, we're going to be doing that um, there. And just a great thing about it is that, like, this is taking Christianity into the public space. Again, like, being able to assume... Catholic teaching in public again. Uh, another one that I'm really excited about, and we've just been kind of supplemental help to this, um, uh, a good buddy of, of mine is really the, the brain behind it. I mean, a lot of these things are. Like investing as a whole kind of is this way, right? You're trying mm -hmm. to identify the people who have a great idea and help them out, right? Um, that's the way it is for the brewery. That's how it is for this as well. And it's a grocery box. We call it the Steubenville Grocery Box. Uh, and the Steubenville grocery box is um, formed so that people have better access to better food. Um, in our town, you drive about 10 minutes outside of downtown and you actually get the real farmland. And there's a lot of hobby farms around, but it's hard to buy groceries from them because you have to go off to you know one family and 10 minutes in one way so and then you have to drive places. them 20 minutes the other direction because right. not everybody does everything. So my, what our friend has done is he's built a website where all these farmers put on what they have uh, produced so that people can go and click on what they want for that week. And then the farmers have sold enough to make it worthwhile for them to drive in the town. And then everybody goes to the central location to pick up their, their food. 
um, it was so successful the first year that you know um, uh, that uh, they've been able to buy a building um, in downtown with the help of another investor and um, so it's just an exciting process again getting us out of the corporate mindset back to the local mindset back to self-sufficiency and um, as a city as a self-sufficiency as a whole for a city and um, or making ways in that in that direction so I think you know people ask often like what they should invest in well you really got to know your city you got to know the needs of your city you need to know the people it's hard work and and it should be hard work investing needs to be taken seriously as John Paul II says so it shouldn't just be something that you do willy-nilly you know it has to be like a kind of like an apostolate and I'm really excited about um, more Catholics doing this that's really cool. Yeah. I love it. Mm-hmm. And so what do you think about is, uh, I assume things like a REIT, like a real estate investment trust would fall into speculation. But what do you think about generally like real estate investing as far as like buying and like buying rental properties and renting those out? Yeah, that one's tough. Um, so again, I know I'm kind of scaring people with, with some of this. And just so I just do want to say like, you know, just, you know, go slow, you know, grab a paper bag, you can breathe into it if you want, you know, um, you know, but I think a lot of this is new, new to people, even though it's very old for our tradition, Yeah. you know, uh, it's just, I do just want to encourage, like, you know, don't worry about it too much. Like at, at first, like take, take it, take it slow, like make moves in the right direction. Like mm-hmm. every single day we got to wake up and say, how can I? you know, chase after Christ more today. Um, but don't think that you can go from zero to 60 in 2.1 seconds here, right. you know? Um, yeah. So, but what are, what are my opinions on, on rental properties? R- rent is tough because rent is non-ideal, right? People should have their own homes. They should have, you know, the place that they can call their own so that they have responsibility over it and they can cult a family in it. That's a, a house is supposed to be a home, right? Yeah. So rent is uh, then for very few. R- rent is supposed to be for those who are not able to make that transition yet. And, you know, those could be students. You know, if you're talking about businesses, it could be a startup. Um, it could be, you know, for some somebody that's just in town for a, a certain amount of time whether that's like an oil and gas guy, if that's an ambassador, um, uh, you know, that's, um, those, those are some good options of why they have renting is that you're, if you're serving some real good purpose. But if this is just for the sake of money and it's not for the sake of something else, then we're not allowed to do that as Catholics. You know, the church has made it clear. John Paul II has said it clearly. Benedict XVI has said it clearly. The catechism says it clearly that we are never supposed to do a business venture just for the sake of profit. Mm-hmm. You know, it has to be serving the common good in some real and profound way. And that you might be doing that de facto, and that's great. But you should also pray through that and say, God, like, reorient my soul, guide me, help me to do this for the right reasons as well. And if you're, if, and, and that's actually, you know, this, this is like a very slow conversion for me. I think there's many and many opportunities for me to invest in things that probably would be good, but I knew that I would have only have done it for the sake of cash, you know, and um, 
And I just kind of said, you know, like, I'm not strong enough to do that yet. You know, I'm not a good enough man. I just got to say no right now. And, um, and so those are, those are some things that we just got to be honest with ourselves. You know, our souls are the most important things, you know, yeah. uh, souls of our families are the most important things, you know, so we gotta, we gotta prioritize that for, for our returns. So, yeah. And maybe we can close with this one is why mm-hmm. do you think, you know, you've, you've mentioned multiple times of how, and I didn't know how, I mean, I've heard you say before, but before that really didn't know how, um, reiterated this statement is, or this fact is, right, mm-hmm. throughout church history and in the catechism and yeah. these great saints. Why do you think it is so uncommon? Why is that never talked about? I feel like we rarely talk about tithing in the Catholic Church, which I think is also a very important, you know, financial oh, dude, principle. totally, yeah. But we never talk about this. Like, this is never, this is, I feel like this is maybe not your only thing, obviously, in your life, but to me, it seems like this is one of the things that God's really, like, chosen you to popularize <laughs> this idea which yeah. is a very unpopular idea yeah it's so, like i just want to be like scott Hahn and get to talk about the eucharist right, is actually yeah. being jesus like yeah. you know but um, you gotta go piss people off yeah i gotta piss people off and say come on you know i'm sorry guys um you know what i think uh, yeah i don't just like a quick thing i mean i was i was doing all this stuff you know and i'm and um so this is kind of like um it's been a conversion for me. It's been a hard conversion for me. Right. There's still times where um, it gets tough. Somebody recently made a very generous donation to um, the College of St. Joseph the Worker, our new initiative in, in Steubenville, um, in Bitcoin, which I loved, you know. And and I was just, you know, kind of constantly looking at the price of Bitcoin before we were legally allowed to sell it. And um, and it was just like, man, I was like right back in the speculative mindset and yeah. everything. Uh, but you know what? It's been, it, I mean, I say, say that as if it's kind of a stranglehold on me. I just feel so much more free. I am so grateful to be out of that world, to stop being always calculating and checking and having things outside my control instead of my, you know, like my family's life being, you know, based upon my work and, um, and love, ultimately on love, you know. Um, St. Thomas makes a really insightful point in his commentary on the Nicomachean eth- ethics um, that money always takes the place for where love lacks. You know, friendship starts to be hindered for when you replace love with money. So uh, we're, we're, because you can think about it like this, I can either ask my, my friends to help me move a piano or I can pay a moving company to do so. You know, in both mm-hmm. cases, I have to rely on one other, but on another, but it's how I rely on them is, is a question. And we just need to keep moving back in that direction. I think how did we get here is, is a very long history, but in sh- short, we just started to replace technocratic mindsets and we stopped being so dedicated to loving hardcore, you know, and, yeah. um, and to be able to get back into a society where we, that's personal, that's focused on virtue as its end. Again, as St. Thomas says, the end of politics is virtue. You know, that demands personal relationships. You can't be virtuous outside of that. You know, it is person right. to person. Um, so I, sadly, I think we've kind of forgotten this. We've gotten into the mindset of, this is the best thing for our families. And, and we've been told things like that, you know, it's like, if you're not investing, you're losing, you know, look out for your family. You don't want to be a burden on them. You know, they've, they've kind of said things that appeal to the best side of us. And, um, 
And praise God that they did that rather than something more nefarious. Um, but now it's really, we have to say, look, culture is not what it should be because we've left Christ. Now we just have to ask the question of how do we get more of him in our life? And he does. Like my Muslim friends say, like as my Muslim friend didn't think, he actually does care about every aspect of our life. So, and praise God for that. Amen. Mm -hmm. I love it. Very good. Thank you for sharing all that. I really appreciate it. Uh, I thought it was, um, yeah, just awesome to hear your thoughts on that. And I think that was something that I always wanted to ask you more about. And if we had more time, I was going to ask you more about what you think about uh, uh, shopping. Because I think that's kind of a subsect of that kind yeah. of whole topic of yep. like shopping at Target and yeah. Starbucks and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a, a slightly different analysis, but similar in some ways. But yeah, yeah I think you used different principles for that evaluation. Do you, short answer, do you generally try to avoid it or? Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, you know, I mean, some of it's kind of silly. Like I, you know, my, we have some tennis rackets at home, but they don't have any strings in them. So we need to go get them strung. And, uh, you know, it's summertime. We want to go out and play. We have a park right next to our house. So the only place close to us that does it is like Dick's Sporting Goods, yeah. you know, and and then they like just announced that they were going to pay for the yeah, yeah pay their employees to go and get abortions. It's like, well, I guess we're not playing tennis this summer, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like if it's a necessary good, it's like you know, it's like the only place to get food is like the bakery down the street. It's like, well, that's that's a matter of necessity, right? Right. But this was a matter of luxury, and you therefore <laughs> I don't need it, you know, and. Babies' lives are more important than, than this societal stand, you know, because, rackets. yeah, yeah, exactly, you know. It's like you're voting for companies whenever you give them money, right. you know, whether that is investment or you're shopping. But the, the different principled evaluation is whether or not it's need-based or luxury-based. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a gray line there in some cases. Um, but that's where prudence, like the virtue of prudence, takes over. And you can't, it's really hard to give um, laws for, for this. You know, and, yeah. and that's, you know, not what Christ freed us for. He freed us to be, you know, for, for virtue uh, that's guided by the Holy Spirit. So I love it. Mm -hmm. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much again for joining me today. It was great getting to talk with you. Yeah, back at you. I appreciate it, bro. Awesome, <laughs> man.